Welcome to the Federal Society's Practice Group Podcast. The following podcast, hosted by the Federal Society's Criminal Law and Procedure Practice Group, was recorded on Wednesday, November 29, 2017, during a live Courthouse Steps teleform conference call held exclusively for Federal Society members. Welcome to the Practice Group's Teleform Conference Call, a Courthouse Steps edition of Teleform, as today we discuss the Carpenter case argued earlier today in the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm Dean Reuter, Vice President, General Counsel, Director of Practice Groups here at the Federalist Society. Please note that all expressions are those of the opinion of the experts on today's call. Also, this call is being recorded for use as a podcast in the future. Uh, a final note on our format today, we're going to uh, limit this call to 40 minutes. Uh, we only have our, our experts for 40 minutes, so they're going to begin with opening remarks of 8 to 10 minutes each uh, maximum, and then we'll be turning to the audience ultimately for questions. We welcome today return guest Oren S. Kerr. He's the Fred C. Stevenson Research Professor of Law at the George Washington University Law School, and we're joined by Michael Sussman as well. He's a partner at Perkins Coy. With that, uh, Oren Kerr, Professor Kerr, the floor is yours. Thank you, Dean. Pleasure to be back. Uh, so I was at the oral argument this morning in Carpenter versus U.S. Let me talk a little about uh, the context of the case and then get to how the argument went. So this is a case about whether the Fourth Amendment uh, regulates government access to cell site records. Whenever your phone is on and a call is being made uh, or received, the network needs to connect the call and cell phone companies generate these records of what cell phone towers were used to direct the call and route the call. So basically it's location information, the resolution of which is maybe in the area of about a mile or two miles in terms of uh, how close they can locate someone. But when that call is made or received, uh, a record is generated and, and cell providers keep it. it. ends up being really useful for the government to uh, reconstruct if they know somebody's phone number uh, where they were, for example, in the case of robberies like in Carpenter, uh, Carpenter uh, led a series of robberies and the government was able to show by gathering his cell site records from his cell phone company that he, he his phone was in the general area of the robbery and so were his conspirators every time. So it's like a string of robberies and each time you know, just happens to match decent uh, evidence, not a slam dunk certainly, but you know, good corroborating evidence that it was actually Carpenter behind the robberies. The question is whether the collection of the records is a Fourth Amendment uh, search or seizure. Um, the prior cases would indicate, or precedents on the books would indicate the answer is no. These are the third-party doctrine cases saying when you disclose information to a third party, uh, you don't retain Fourth Amendment rights in that information. Uh, and the idea here would be, well, you disclose your your location to the network in order to have the network deliver calls for you, and therefore that's not protected under under these cases. And and a lot of the, the question today was, do you uh, should the court you know agree that the third party doctrine uh, framework applies as the lower court had held uh, in an opinion by Judge Kethledge? Uh, uh, or should the court overturn the third-party doctrine? Should it modify the third-party doctrine? Well, what do you do? And um, so how did it go is a question I think everybody wants to know. And I think it went pretty well for Carpenter uh, on the whole. I think he probably has a majority for limiting the third-party doctrine in the context of location records. Uh, but there's very little agreement among the justices on the theory of doing that. <laughs> so there were maybe four justices, maybe five justices who articulated possible tests for why Carpenter should win. They were not the argument that Carpenter was leading with, interestingly, uh, but they were each different lines that the justices were trying to draw. Uh, so um, Justice Kagan suggested that the facts of 
a long-term collection of cell site uh, records were similar to the long-term surveillance of uh, GPS uh, under the concurring opinions of the Jones case. That was a case where the government installed and monitored someone's uh, GPS on a car for 28 days. Justice Kagan thought it was enough like that that the same rule should apply, sort of effectively treating the concurring opinions in that case as a de facto majority uh, opinion and saying under that reasoning it should still be a search. Uh, Justice Breyer thought maybe you carve out a special exception to the third-party doctrine for maybe for things relating to the person, to the body, and maybe someone's location uh, is like part of their body in, in a sense. Uh, Justice Sotomayor, a very strong voice, Carpenter side suggested that maybe the monitoring becomes a search when the government is obtaining records without any cause uh, to believe the person is engaged in crime, but maybe it's not a search if they do have cause, which is kind of hard to fit into existing doctrine, but at least that's what I heard her say. She, she suggested the test uh, might be. Uh, the most remarkable voice, uh, uh, and really kind of, I think, the big story or the most surprising story was Justice Gorsuch, who suggested uh, that there should be a Fourth Amendment search based on a property theory. The idea is that uh, the cell phone records are the property rights of users. Justice Alito, you know, very much attacked this idea, basically saying, how can you have property rights in records that you you don't have any right to control, you don't knowingly generate, you can't, you know, you can't access yourself. How is that your property? And uh, you know, Justice. Uh, Gorsuch seemed to have a couple different views as to how you might have different uh, property type rights in your cell site records. Um, what's particularly interesting is you might conceivably get a five justice majority in favor of Carpenter, but on you know five different theories, including the, the property theory, which would be quite dramatically different uh, from anything and could be presumably overturned through congressional amendment. Uh, maybe changing the outcome of the case if if Congress changes the statute that Gorsuch suggested created the property right. So um, really unclear how you're going to get to any kind of uh, a majority uh, uh, rule. But if if there was a majority that emerged, it was something along the lines of some narrow property theory in in uh, uh, Carpenter's favor. Uh, the two justices that spoke uh, that, that sort of seemed most sympathetic to the government side were Justices uh, Alito and Justice Kennedy. Uh, they both thought that this was pretty clearly covered by the third-party doctrine, by uh, Miller and Smith, and that there was no justiciable line for uh, 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 deviating from those principles and that you have to overturn a tremendous amount of law to get there and that the Congress had already legislated in this field uh, through the Federal Stored Communications Act. And uh, Justice Kennedy suggested you, know, you should defer to that thoughtful legislative framework uh, as as uh, uh, in, instead of having the courts try to jump in and, and solve this problem. Um, one of the really interesting questions, you know, there was, there, I think there was a feel among a bunch of the justices, it would be good for us to try to regulate this. We don't want the government to be able to access all of these cell site records willy-nilly. And the question is, how? <laughs> like, what? how do you insert the courts into this? And on what basis? And Remarkably to me, there was really no two justices that seemed to have the same view of how you might do that. So there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, a lot of post-argument kind of struggling to figure out, okay, what's the test uh, that, that we go with? Because nothing really clear emerged uh, at, at the argument. Um, let me offer one or two more thoughts, and then, Michael, I'll, 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 I'll turn it over to you. Um, sure. You know, I, I, the sense I got from this is I have a I wrote an article a couple of years ago called an equilibrium adjustment theory of the Fourth Amendment and the 
the idea was that the Supreme Court responds to technological change by altering prior Fourth Amendment rules and to try to balance, rebalance the level of, of government power so technology doesn't too much alter uh, the amount of power that the government gets, either giving the government too much power or not enough power. And, uh, you know, a theme that I was thinking about as I was listening to the argument is th this is sort of equilibrium adjustment at work. They, there are a bunch of them had the sense we need to somehow stop the government from being able to do this. It's sort of just too much power to give the government. Um, it would be better to not let the government do this. What rule do we come up with that stops the government from being able to do this, but that doesn't interrupt too many other kinds of investigative techniques like access to bank records or access to credit card records or uh, access to phone numbers dialed or any of the other records the government gets all, all the time with a lower threshold. You know, they're kind of looking for a narrow way to engage in equilibrium adjustment, carve out these kinds of cases and say the government can't do that in order to restore that, that level of, of government power. And, and, and again, the real question is just how do you do that? You know, what's, what's the line and, and nothing clear, nothing clear has yet emerged. Uh, so that's my overall take, and, and Michael, I'm happy to pass it off to you. Sure. Thanks, Oren. So it's Michael Sussman. Oren and I were colleagues of the Department of Justice a long time ago. Um, a couple, I, uh, All of your summary of the facts I agree with. I just wanted to add a couple of things and then talk a little bit about the case. Um, cell site data is, can be very useful, and one of the most famous cases where it was used to solve a crime was in 2002 for the D.C. snipers. Ultimately, it was, it was uh, triangulating uh, cell site data that led law enforcement to find out who they are. But as Oren says, it gives you a perimeter. It's not actual tracking of your location on the device, and that may make this a harder case to overturn the third-party doctrine. Um, the carpenter, the defendant here, got sentenced to 116 years, and some commentators have said, well, gee, what an injustice it would be to let him out on a technicality. I don't think that anyone... I don't think that, that, that uh, there's a consensus that any ruling by the court would let him out. I think that he still would serve a significant amount of time. And even though those facts shouldn't drive the law, shouldn't drive the decision, sometimes they're a consideration. I don't think Orrin and I think that that's the case here. And then, Orrin, if you didn't mention it, I, want, I wanted to add that the length of monitoring here, I think that he was monitored, his location was monitored for 127 days some yes. long period of time like that. And I think that the case, the case may turn on duration of monitoring. And so I just wanted to add that it, it's a, it was a long period of time when, and as lower courts have, have, have commented, they could see when, see, see when he went. It, you know, this, this wasn't just the robberies, but you're seeing when he goes to church, when he goes to a doctor, wherever he goes for uh, sort of on a 24-7 basis for, 127 days. I think it's a tough case for Carpenter, notwithstanding all of the lively discussion today and all of the questions. There are two difficult things that have to happen. The court has to decide, are they going to find a warrant requirement under these facts? And if they do, how are they going to find it? In the Jones case, which involved the use of GPS tracking devices, the justices picked a number, both in, in, in uh, in, in the lead opinion and concurring opinions, a number of paths to the same result. I think that's going to be difficult here. Before the argument, I thought that it was a hard case to overturn the third-party doctrine and an easy case to decide based on the Stored Communications Act. 
um, and it would likely be decided on statutory grounds, no one's challenging that the location records fall within the uh, provision of the Stored Communications Act. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and a court order, the government did get a court order just under a lesser standard. Um, so hearing all of the discussions, I think that the greater issue really is going to end up being continuous monitoring. There are some older cases on watching outside a door uh, of, of a house for months. And so I could see a warrant requirement where records reveal a detailed pattern of movement over a long time and perhaps a remand in this specific case to see if a few months is too long. But for me, it's hard to see a Fourth, uh, a fourth Amendment violation unless the court finds continuous tracking without a warrant to be unreasonable. And I don't know if, if they'd be able to thread this, this particular needle and find that some duration of continuous tracking is unreasonable without a warrant and yet keep the third-party doctrine in place. But I think it's an important enough case that the court is going to need to find consensus, which just based on questioning today, seems like the court's far away from that. And um, I just I, I think it's going to be tough under these facts for them to find uh, for them to get the votes to overturn the third party doctrine. I'm wondering, Oren, do you think, based on the questioning today, is there a narrow holding that allows them to dispense with the case, or is it going to have to be a broad holding? Is it going to have to? Is Carpenter going to have to win with a broad holding? So that's what they were trying to figure out, um, and I think a bunch of them wanted to uh, car carve out a narrow holding. One, Justice Sotomayor floated this idea that the third-party doctrine is actually not a general rule. It's a rule that has a bunch of exceptions and that the court had actually carved out exceptions to it in Ferguson, which is the uh, drug testing case, and Bond, which is the duffel bag on the bus case. Um, and so she, she said, and Justice Breyer echoed this, well, why don't we just you know, carve out another exception to the third-party doctrine to deal with this kind of case? Now, that raises the question of what is this kind of case, um, uh, and also raises the question of actually whether Ferguson and Bond were exceptions to the third-party doctrine. I don't think they are. I never thought of them that way. Um, but, you know, I, their their approach, it seemed to be, that at least two of them were, were interested in was saying, you know, yeah, we normally have a third-party doctrine, and Carpenter was not um, you know, saying that, that Smith and Miller are correct on their face and they're not challenging Smith or Miller, that, you know, there's something special about certain kinds of cases and we treat them differently. Um, and and whether it's like, you know, medical, super sensitive records, records about the body, record, you know, medical records, you know, something. And, you know, I think the difficulty is if you want to draw a line about like, you know, treating medical records differently, um, how are cell site records, medical records, right? It doesn't really seem to fit. Um, but they they clearly wanted to come up with some sort of narrow rule that says this is just this is so. Hello. Did we lose uh, one one of our guests? Is uh, I think we might have lost uh, Professor Kerr. Hopefully he will redial. 
Um, but um, Michael, um, I don't know if you have further comments, or if, uh, I could pause here and ask you a question or two. The only other, the only thing, other thing I was going to add, if it's continuous monitoring, monitoring, which was the big issue, which was the big issue in Jones, how do you how, how do you pick the amount of time and who does it? Is the court going to? I mean, I'm, I'm a skeptic again, as I said, that the court is going to overturn here. And if they do, if it's continuous monitoring, how much is too much? Is, is the court going to really find, you know, in, in, in 2018, is the court really going to find, we, fought, we hold that 30 days monitoring is too much or 15 days or 300 days is, is too much monitoring? Are they going to, I don't think that they, I think that's a, that's a heavy lift to remand. And obviously Congress could pick this up and, and could, could, could uh, fix it statutorily. But I think that's another point that makes it particularly difficult is is drawing where that line is. So that was that was going to be my first question to you. This is Dean Reuter, by the way. Uh, you know, how long is too long? And you've you've not you've posed that as your own question, I suppose. Uh, but that's maybe a, a a a case of line drawing the court doesn't want to get into. Um, I'm, I was also curious. I think I see Erwin Kerr in our. Uh, waiting our telephone call call waiting room about to j rejoin the call. Um, let me see if I can unmute his uh, telephone. Back. Orin, we we can hear you now. Go ahead. Uh, we were just talking about uh, this is Dean Michael and I were talking about uh, the court getting into the line drawing and how long is too long uh, and and maybe that's a place. Hello. Yeah. Can you hear us, Orin? Orin, we can hear you. I don't know if you can hear us. Um, Oren, maybe um, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. Oren might have muted his own telephone, but um, we've lost him again. It seems. Uh, let me uh, try and open the floor to questions. See if our audience uh, wants to begin queuing up. In a moment, we'll all hear an announcement that will say the floor mode is on. After you hear that announcement, if you have a question, uh, push the star button and then the pound button on your telephone. So once again, if you have a question, push the star button and then the pound button on your telephone. I see Orrin Kerr trying to rejoin the call once again. Um, I will unmute his telephone. Uh, hold on, Orrin. Orrin, uh, I have unmuted your phone from here. You might need to unmute your own telephone. Can you hear us? I can hear you. We can hear you now. So Great. Uh, thank you for rejoining the call. Um, we, uh, that is, Michael Sussman and I were just discussing how long is too long in terms of duration for the monitoring and how t how extensive is too extensive uh, and that sort of line drawing that the court might might find itself in depending on how it goes in deciding this case. And um, if I can add, and if, and if I could yes. add to compound the question, Dean, or we were, I was also questioning if that's going to be important for overturning, is the court does the court really do that and say we find that 30 days is too requires is unreasonable or 60 days or do they remand to the district court or is it really just something that would have to be done by congress yeah so so what i what i heard um and i apologize some of this is going to repeat what i said but i don't know when exactly i was i was cut off um you know I, there didn't seem to be a lot of interest in the long term short term distinction uh, on grounds it was just too hard to work. And, and so Justice Ginsburg, for example, said uh, to Nate Wessler, arguing for the ACLU, so it's okay to get 24 hours of monitoring if somebody commits one burglary, but if they commit eight burglaries, the government needs a warrant after that first burglary for the other burglaries? How could that possibly be right? So 
she seemed um, unpersuaded by the short-term, long-term distinction, as did Chief Justice Roberts. Um, trying to think if any uh, Justice Kennedy certainly uh, uh, did as well. That, that that was you just can't draw that that kind of line. That you have you have to have a rule that says basically all location information collection is a search, or it's all not a search. Um, but you get there by carving out exceptions to the third-party doctrine based on the nature of the records, maybe records that are about an individual, the person, you know, particularly sensitive personal records like medical records get treated separately and maybe cell site records are also super personal. I mean, I, I don't think they are, but at least that would be the theory. Uh, and so I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that the if, if Carpenter wins, it's a rule not based on short-term, long-term, but on um, just the nature of location records being somehow different from other kinds of records. Once again, if you're in the audience, if you have a question, push the star button, then the pound button on your telephone. We've got one caller with a question lined up. Um, let me ask, before we go to our caller, um, this is Dean again. The, the, we're talking about cell site uh, data location here, which is not that specific. Um, but there is cell phone technology that allows um, your provider to locate you to within a few feet. Um, and, and that's what's used um, uh, to, to give you uh, ads to, uh, you know, uh, Timothy Coffee when you're walking in front of Timothy Coffee, uh, the, the your location is known to a greater extent than just cell phone tower um, location, which, as you've discussed, gets us to the closest block or two. Um, is that important? Is that going to be important? What's the future of this? The technology is going to get better and better where they're going to locate you better and better. The third party is going to be able to locate you better and better. Um, what does that mean for this case? Well, it's, this is Michael. It's going to be a problem in limiting. You're going to have the dual problems of limiting any, any holding or figuring out what, what it applies to. And any technological holding by an appellate court, you know, you can argue is, is outdated the week after, week after it comes out. One one of the ways that the, that the government can find location in this new age of IoT is just if you you know if they if they if they can collect information from Oral B on the days that you're using your Wi-Fi connected toothbrush, they know you're home those days. And they know you're not traveling. And so there's a lot of location that you can get from IoT, which is different than cell site data and different than other kinds of location. And I just think it's you know, it's, it's a, an, another another dimension for why it's going to be really hard to sort of judicial, ju judicially legislate on this issue. Oren? And, and this is Oren. So I think it's clear that Justice Sotomayor's answer to that is you should not start figuring out these different ways of getting location information, cell site versus real time versus GPS. It's all, you sort of bunch them all together as, location information um, and that you shouldn't focus on you should you, it all gets it's all a search any any kind of acquisition of any kind of location information uh, uh, has to be treated together as a search and that that's basically how you administer it because there's just a warrant requirement for all of it um, the hard question becomes okay if that's location information you know there are lots of other things that also reveal location right? it's like you know, somebody made a phone call from a landline phone, they're revealing their location. Is that location information or is that just the number dialed? And you know, if you can right. sort of figure out what location from that, 
where's the line between location and non-location? And that may be what they get stuck on in terms of trying to come up with a rule. I, it's just um, the, the the sense, at least, that I got from the ones who wanted to rule for Carpenter uh, was that you you don't look too carefully at the technology and treat each technology differently. You sort of group together location information as a sort of one thing. Once again, if you have and, uh, a question, go ahead. Michael Sussman, did you have a comment? No, I think that was Oren following up on oh. his own comment. Oren, go ahead, Professor Kerr. Oh, no, I, I actually was just forgetting I needed to pass it back off to, uh, <laughs> to oh. Michael or Dean. So time for the next question if we have one. Um, yes, and if you'd like to join the queue in the audience, push the star button, then the pound button. And also a reminder, if you join the call late, we're going to adjourn this call in about uh, 12 minutes, uh, so not a full 60 minutes. Let's uh, check in with our callers. Hi, this is a question for Oren. Uh, you've been pretty consistent in your writing and interviews to describe the cell site information as records that are generated by the cell phone company, like regarding their own network, as opposed to information that originated with the user. Um, did the court pry into that at all, and how much do you think that this, that this case will depend on that distinction? Yeah, I don't think they cared. Um, at least the justices that were on suggested they were on Carpenter's side what what mattered was that the government was able to collect information that could track people in the past. That was what Justice Kagan suggested, Justice Breyer, uh, Justice Sotomayor. How it's generated, how specific it is, is not the question. It's, it's not the details of it. It's just the government can get access to records that show where somebody was, and that's what's troubling. Um, at least that was the sense I got from the questions. And, and and I should say this is true for all of these questions. I'm, I'm sort of guessing from the way a question was asked as to what position the justice has, and that could be, like, totally wrong. Um, uh, so so I'm, I'm assembling a feel from all these different questions as to what they seem to care about. Um, but that was at least my sense, that whether you see it as a record generated by the user or a business record of the company, it didn't matter. It was It was just troubling to have the government be able to reassemble where somebody was over time for, you know, way way back to the past. Like, you know, Justice, Justice Kagan asked, well, would you be able to get records for all time? Like, you know, for for decades. Um, and, you know, j- j- uh, uh, Michael Dreeben from the government was ready for that. He said, no, because it would be an overbroad subpoena. It would be an overbroad request. Couldn't do it for that reason. Uh, but that's clear, you know, that seemed to be kind of the – how do we stop Big Brother was the way that that a bunch of the justices seemed to be thinking, and it was not about the specifics of the technology. It was just a concern about the government being able to get tracking location records that they didn't used to have access to. That was at least my sense. Great. Thank you. Uh, Michael Sussman, anything on this point? Nope. Okay. We've got one caller with a question. If you'd like to join the queue, push the star button then the pound button on your telephone. Let's take another call. Hello. Uh, Mary Maxwell here. I think you almost just answered my question about by saying, let's stop Big Brother. I've been taking many Greyhound buses lately, and I always have to give my passport or ID. And it's not that long ago that I could make a secret trip, <laughs> and I don't think I ever made any secret trips of which the secrecy was important, but 
I enjoyed it. I like being anonymous. And that has really disappeared. And I'm not sure we can reach to the Fourth Amendment to protect it, but I certainly wish we could because that's a big part of one's psychology, of the privacy of you know, doing what you want to do. And it has nothing to do with robberies, but it's just an important thing to maintain, which you would think the Fourth Amendment sort of does that, although it talks about searches and seizures and no one would be searching me. But we've, we've lost anonymity. That's That's all I want to say. This, this is Oren. Um, I don't think that's right. So I think there are a lot of ways in which we have much more anonymity than we used to uh, in that you know, the, the physical world version of uh, 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 you, you, you'd go on the bus and people could see you on the bus and people could recognize yeah. you um, and you, know, you could run into a friend and go, oh, no, you know, now I've been spotted. Somebody is going to uh, remember me or, you know, you, you had to walk and, you know, Maybe an example like you know adult stores or something like that. Somebody was like, "I'm I don't want to be seen walking into the store." Whereas yeah. online, they can just visit the store and not not worry about being observed. So, in that sense, there's more anonymity, um, I think, than there was in the past. Um, it's 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 to my mind, I think it's just sort of hard to draw the equivalent. Um, it just depends on what technology people are using, uh, uh, and and how they're using it, and the likelihood of records that are collected being accessed, right? So it could be, for example, under the statute that you're, these records are being generated, but the government is not allowed to get them unless they get a court order from a judge based on a specific, you know, showing of specific and articulable facts. And as a practical matter, that means that the government's not going to be getting your cell site records. Um, you know, is that less private than before? Or is it more private? Well, you know, it depends on whether you're thinking of the odds of it being obtained or the fact that it's being created, some maybe more likely it's created, less likely that it'll be obtained. You know, it's, it's tricky, I think, actually. And, and it, we are, though. I mean, to, to go to some of the concerns in your question, we're, we're entering this new world, right, where we've we've got new technologies, and um, with, it's sort of news to people as to how the records are being created, and we have a lot of fears about where the technology is going. And Justice Sotomayor was, you know, pretty clear on this. She said, you know we don't need to focus on the rules from the, the facts of this case. We need to worry about where the technology is going and the technology is going of getting extremely precise, constant location information. And she talked about, you know, the government making the cell phone provider turn on their phones and listen to what people are doing inside their homes, you know, which we think would be a, a pretty different, you know, that's a, clearly a search under existing law. But the, that set of concerns seem to be driving um, – her framework uh, in terms of what to do in this case. So I, I think those concerns that you have are very much animating several of the justices, and we just don't quite know how the votes are going to lay out in terms of what they'll do with, with this particular kind of case. Michael, any thoughts? No, just Ms. Mas Ms. Ms. Maxwell, you make a very good point. And clearly on the call today, we're only addressing half the privacy equation, which is what the government can get. Uh, talk to any 10 people on the street, and five of them will say, I don't care what the government collects on me, but all these businesses, I don't want them having all my information. The other five will say the other thing. So there's, a, there's just a lot of data points that are being created that can be collected. Um, facial recognition, we could have a, a whole other call on where that technology is going. But Oren makes the fair point that if your concern is, is about what the government can get, then... Cases like this and legislation are the ways that that's going to be tamed. 
Thank you. We've got about uh, five or so minutes left. One question pending, so let's try and get this final question in. Uh, was this information asked for, uh, and did, was the phone company asked, the, uh, asked for this information, or is this some of the information that's stored in that vast data vault out in the Midwest where uh, the government uh, gathers this stuff uh, from the from the room in Langley and then stores it all in, uh, in its own records? No, yeah. So this is this is Michael Sussman. This was not a query that the government made of a database that it had. This was a case where the government used a court order under the Stored Communications Act and went to a phone company and said, for you know, for this particular user with this phone, what records do you have for the phone for the cell towers that the phone connected with? So it's clearly a case of going to the phone company and getting records they have. And one important part of the Stored Communications Act is that it, for, it really works in two ways. It forbids communications providers, in this case phone companies, from voluntarily sharing user information with law enforcement, and then says to law enforcement, if you want any of this information, you need to get a subpoena or a court order or a search warrant, depending on the kind of information you want. And so that's the framework within which this case came up. So they didn't even uh, do a, a sweep of the area, saying whose cell phones were in this area at this given time of these old of these burglaries. They actually had the name of a person and put it with particularity on the warrant or on the court order. That's what I yes, that's what I believe. They knew that they were looking. They had Carpenter's phone number. Somehow determined who is who, which carrier he used and then sent the legal process, the court order, to that carrier and said, for this particular phone number, what, what, what location records do you have? I, w I wonder if they got that information from their vast database. The, the no, no, they got it a very traditional way. Uh, they had one of the suspects in the robbery slipped and said, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> oh, basically the government had some suspects one of the persons came in and said, you know, will you cut me a deal if I rat on all the other people in the group? They said, yes, we'd be delighted to. And as part of that, he handed over the phone numbers, which he had stored in his phone, I gather, um, of the other suspects. And then the government used that to get the cell site records. So it was actually a very yeah. traditional interviewing people and getting a confidential informant flipping for the government. And that, that's what led to the records being collected. Well, that sounds like they almost complied with the Fourth Amendment. Well, you know, I think there may be a majority to say that that doesn't comply with the Fourth Amendment, at least in the <laughs> obtaining of the records, and we'll have to see on, on what basis. But in, in this case, I just want to say, in this case, the Stored Communications Act, the statute, provides a, a very clear procedure for the government to get these records, and it's not a Fourth Amendment procedure. The Fourth Amendment says if it's in a reasonable search, you need a warrant for it. And, and indeed, the, the Stored Communications Act says in certain circumstances you need a subpoena, in certain circumstances you need a court order, and in certain circumstances you need a warrant. But the way the statute is written right now, under, for, for location, you just, you just need a court order. And the government followed those, those procedures here. 
Well, this is Dean Reuter. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for uh, your time today, and uh, additional thanks to Professor Kerr for attending oral argument and reporting back to all of us. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. It's been a great discussion. Uh, this is styled as one of the more significant cases of the term. It sounds like that remains to be seen. It could be the justices are so divided there's not a not an uh, a great impact in their decision, but we'll see. Um, and hope to have you both back when uh, when the decision comes out. I want to thank the audience as well for dialing in and for your time. A reminder to the audience to check our calendar, uh, monitor your emails for upcoming Teleform conference calls. But until that next call, we are adjourned. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this practice group podcast. For materials related to this podcast and other Federalist Society multimedia, please visit the Federalist Society's website at fedsoc.org slash multimedia.